0: Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability people have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jeehee Jolly. Today's episode is an in-depth conversation with actress Vanessa Shaw, who, if you're my age, you might have grown up watching in movies like Ladybugs and Hocus Pocus, and then, when she was a little older, in Eyes Wide Shut. Or maybe you've just recently seen her in 12 Mighty Orphans, which came out this year. Vanessa has been practicing Buddhism since childhood, and today she shares her honest experience dealing with success at a young age, struggling with perfectionism along the way, and eventually finding true self-worth. This episode has takeaways for anyone who might be struggling with perfectionism, self-esteem, or simply finding yourself especially in your career. As a reminder, we're currently doing our 31 day chanting journey. So today's episode is also filled with tips and advice on how to combat negative self talk, which is a big part of Vanessa's journey. Now let's meet Vanessa.
1: I'm Vanessa Shaw. Um, I am an actress and uh, I live in Los Angeles. And I'm also a mother of a toddler who's three years old, and i very happy to have this conversation today.
0: Amazing. Yes, I am also very, very excited. I'm going to try to stay focused because I think I could ask you a lot of questions I'd want to, <laughs> I'd want to know <laughs> about. Um, but let's let's start with a little bit of your Buddhist journey because not everyone may know that you practice Buddhism. Um, so when and why did you start practicing SJN Nichiren Buddhism?
1: Well, I was born into a Buddhist family. Both my parents were practicing Buddhism when I was born. They were practicing for about a few years. So I had the philosophy in my household. Um, My mother, when I was growing up, was very, very sick. And she battled with Crohn's disease, um, which actually uh caused her to be hospitalized multiple times um and my sister and I watched her while she was battling her illness for most of our childhood um she was basically in and out of the hospital every other month um so i basically decided somewhere at a young age to subvert my feelings and decided to quote unquote grow up um And looking back, I I felt overwhelmed by the thought of my mother dying. And again, I didn't really want my dad to worry. I wanted to protect my little sister. So I just resolved to show no feelings of fear or concern or worry. And really um, my beginnings of Buddhism, um, of really starting to begin chanting, um, started around eight or nine with one instance. At that time I was a ballet dancer and I um, was, you know, doing the local ballet um, in my local town. And every year we would have the Nutcracker at, you know, Christmas time, which I'm sure most people listening have heard of the Nutcracker, you know, it's a Christmas (laughs) ballet. Um, And every time before the freaking Nutcracker, I would get sick. And I realized I was getting sick every year and I realized, wow, I think I'm getting sick before anything important. And it showed up in piano recitals. It showed up in, in all sorts of different ways, like maybe someone's birthday party I really wanted to go to as a kid. And um, in this one instance, when I was around eight or nine, I got sick before my aunt's wedding. And my mom was looking at me going, again, you got sick before something important? What is going on? And What I realized is, looking back, she was just beginning to battle her own illness and chant to break through um, and become healthy. And so she kind of recognized the same tendencies in me where illness was preventing me from enjoying myself as a child and, and that it was coming out before anything important. So she decided at that moment that it was a turning point for me and said, would you like to try chanting? And I was there sitting next to her, next to our Buddhist altar. And I literally had a fever. And then I started chanting with my eyes closed because I was just so fevered. And five minutes went by. And then literally the, all in all, within 20 minutes, I started chanting more vigorously and loudly. And I had my hands in prayer position and I was looking um, very strongly. Um, and basically my whole life I felt changed and within a matter of 20 minutes. and. I looked at my mom and she gave me this knowing motherly look and <laughs> was just like, uh-huh, I knew this was going to happen. So I I basically asked her from then on out to teach me how to chant. Hmm. Um, and, and what was interesting about that was any time in the future, you know, I started getting sick before anything important. I recognized what it was versus just being consumed by it or falling completely flat out sick. Um, But I didn't really get to the heart of it until later, um, connecting to my deep pain inside until I was about 27 years old. But (laughs) this was the beginning of it, battling um, and understanding my deeper um, pain that I had kind of repressed and um, put down um, Mm. deep inside of me.
0: Wow. Yeah, so. I mean, well, first of all, I mean, I've talked to so many people who, you know, grew up in um, Buddhist families and like, it's always like when I was a teenager or after college, never like when I was eight years old. <laughs> so that's such a good story.
1: Yes. And that's why when people, you know, say that they've said that to me too, friends in the Buddhist community. And um, I said, I think just because I had that intense experience that I couldn't I couldn't ignore it I couldn't look back and go all oh, that you know whatever mm-hmm. that chanting is you know I couldn't ignore what I experienced so I kind of had to move forward and try it and
0: continue yeah, yeah no I mean it, it does make sense and it's also um, I mean it, it's sort of interesting because You also had a very unusual childhood and had many events, I think, after that where you really, that were very important and maybe even unusual for a child. You know, um, I think having achieved such early success as an actress... I mean, you were still a child, essentially, I imagine that um, there were a lot of feelings and challenges that came with that process. So could you share a little bit about maybe just like why and how you got into acting? And then like, what what was that very kind of young success like for you?
1: Well, what was interesting is, um, my mother is an actress, and she used to bring me on auditions with her, because, you know, she just didn't have any childcare. And, Um, so my sister and I would tag along with her and eventually certain casting directors would go, Hey, are your kids going to be in this role? If there's kids roles in this, this commercial, or is she coming for the daughter? And my mom would just bat them off and basically say, no, I want them to wait till they're old enough to drive themselves to auditions (laughs) because it's a big, huge, you know, undertaking to, um, for my mom, especially having looked, you know, and and created her own career for herself. And then, okay, now add two girls' like careers on top of hers was going to be challenging. So it was actually a friend of ours who's a film producer who basically, um, I like to say humanistically threatened my mom. Um, (laughs) She said to her, (laughs) she said to her, if you don't get her into an agency, I will. Um, so, (laughs) so then my, it was kind of from there, my mom, you know, said, okay, let's try it out. Um, and she kind of gave us, my sister and I a talk and said, you know, there's a lot of wonderful things about this business, but there's a lot of criticism that goes along with it. And, you know, please just remember one thing that, um, acting is what you do. It's not who you are. And I just was thinking about it and worried and, you know, I'm gonna miss like she she told us, you know, you could may miss may miss your prom or you may miss like, you know, some important event in your life and you know, mm-hmm. but you will be doing something fun and you'll have to be around adults and they'll be kind of strict with you, but you have to behave all these things. So I started at age twelve and it was wonderful and fun and also deeply difficult but when I first started out I had just a lot of confidence and you know was very different than a lot of 12 year olds like at the time it was the late 80s and everything was like hyper like hyper realistic where like you know basically the commercials would have kids like jumping out and um kids with like permed hair and like very cutesy and I was just not cutesy I was always very mature for my age and um I just felt I was very unique and so I would go in there going I'm just different and I'll be unique and so I just would land all these parts these commercials and and I just had had, was kind of blind to all the criticisms um about being you know what you got what I got later like too young too mature too tall too Skinny, too fat, too—you know, whatever it is. Like, but so I was just having fun, and you know, I booked my booked my first movie called Ladybugs, which was basically a soccer movie with a bunch of kids running around. And by the end of the movie, we wrote letters to each other and was like a yearbook situation where people like keep in touch. And I was like, this is acting. This is so fun. And then um, my second movie was Hocus Pocus, and. Um, again, I was like, we were kids running around with these stellar actresses playing a scary witch, you know, Sarah Jessica Parker and Kathy Najimy and Bette Midler. And I was just like, this is acting, you know, I, again, I just couldn't believe how much fun I was having. And I was, I was also modeling and working with top photographers like Bruce Weber and Pamela Hansen and Matthew Ralston. I was like flying back and forth from New York city and, you know, Matthew Ralston photographed me for the cover of 17. And this was where I, I was, you know, toggling back and forth between, you know, my crazy public life and then going to public school. Mm -hmm. And there was this added pressure mounting of like, I just need to be normal with my friends or else I'll lose them. So it was an erroneous thought, obviously. So one, one story is I came out, the, the, The one uh, shoot that was very like uh, splashy was a shoot I did with Matthew Ralston and I was on the cover of Seventeen Magazine. And one of my friends was like playfully upset and she brought the magazine to school and was like, this was in my mailbox. (laughs) And she said, when were you gonna tell me that you were on the cover of Seventeen? And I just went, oh, you know, that's, that, you know, oh shocks kind of comment back. And then one of my other friends like later said, you know, you know, Vanessa, you're really cool. Don't ever change and pat me on the shoulder. And I took it as a criticism. I was like, Oh God, I better be inside the box and be normal and not be too overly confident, have arrogance. And so I just started putting myself more and more in a box, um, and added more and more pressure to myself. Um, but i was doing all these fantastical things like um like being in these movies and i bought my own house and was like the youngest landlord ever <laughs> um renting out the house and i was doing well in school um but i have this vivid memory after all of this you know putting myself in a box of me being in a puddle of tears on my parents steps in our in our house the house i grew up in and my mom came up to me and said, what's going on? And I said, I just feel so much pressure. And she said, well, you, why do you feel pressure? Cause we, we didn't put any pressure on you. Like we, we love you as you are. And I said, because you don't, I have to put it on myself. Mm-hmm. And she was just so worried about me going, why would you do that? You know, you're, you're doing wonderfully. You're, you're excelling in all areas of your life. And of course I was blaming my parents, you know with something that was going on inside. But what I was craving was like normalcy, comfort and stability. And I just, I tried so hard to keep my problems away so that I could just feel this like, you know, unrealistic sense of normalcy, which wasn't helping. You know, other kids were focusing on grades and friendships, you know, maybe being on an athletic team and they were making mistakes and like maybe partying too much. But for me, I had this very public pressure and my mistakes and pressures were on display. Um, and then it kind of was illuminating to me that I had to make decisions that were big to me um, that seemed kind of um, counterintuitive to who I was as a child. Like I, I really, again, wanted to create, I was craving normalcy. Um, so I had a final important audition. Um, and it conflicted with me spending the night at my friend's house, and my mom pulled the car over because I was saying I'm not going to spend the my you know spend the night at my friend Michelle's. I remember her name everything, um, and she said, "Look, you don't have to do this. I don't want you to feel the pressure that you're putting on yourself. If you want to go hang out with your friend, you can. But this is something you have to decide inside of you. What do you want to do?" And I said, "Okay, I want to go to." To do this final audition, um, but this indecisiveness, this internal thing, kept coming up, and I was so afraid of making the wrong choices or mistakes. And you know, I earned money to go to college, and, but my because my parents couldn't afford it, um, and that was something that was a huge achievement. But then I couldn't decide what school, and I literally was at the the post office, and my dad was driving me there, going which school do you want to go to? And I said, I'm afraid of making a mistake. I don't know. And he said, okay, they're both due right now and was holding them over like the mail slot, um, the post office. And I said, just put in both. He's like, you're gonna gonna lose money if you put in both. Then you have to decide later. And I said, just do it right now. I can't decide. So (laughs) that's just something, an example of how I couldn't, I was pained to make a decision. And so- Then these decisions started affecting me. I deferred college for a year, and then I became really depressed because I didn't know what I actually wanted to do. I was um, thinking I needed to go to college because um, I had determined to do this as a child. I needed to just keep going. And um, so I still started acting during that year that I deferred. But I auditioned for 300 roles and didn't book one. Oh my and gosh. that was the hardest year of my life because I just felt I was losing footing in every way. And then um, I was trying to find a community and I was trying to find a community in acting. But at 18, it's a really tough time for young actors and my all my friends that were actors when we were young were having the same conflicting moments in their life. And many of them turned to drugs. Many of them got really dark. Um, One of my friends committed suicide and I just, I was deeply afraid and I put the brakes on and I just ran away to school. Um, Hmm. And I deeply was thinking of starting another career Um, Just because I was so, I mean, I'm tearing up saying this, but I was just so afraid because all the people that (laughs) I was connected to had changed and it was scary. And I just didn't know um, where to turn in that respect. And so when I went to school, I was determined to keep chanting Hmm. and somehow find a community there. And what was so cool was in my dorm room, my, dorm, my, my dormitory downstairs. There was a girl chanting and I heard her and oh I said, gosh. oh my God, I chant too. Can we chant together? And she said, yes. And she was really struggling and deciding whether or not she was going to go to architecture school. And it was a big decision for her. And then across the street in another dormitory that I found another girl to chant with. So all of a sudden, I felt like, okay, I can get through this. I can figure out if acting is something I do want to do or if I want to continue to find something else I want to do. And it was just so hard because I was so far away from home, but I just decided to to try. Um, and my dad sent me a postcard in the mail that I still have, and it's pretty tattered. Um, but it was the first time I ever read one of Neutron's writings because I was still not really studying that much of Neutron's writing. And he wrote on the postcard, suffer what there is to suffer, enjoy what to there enjoy what there is to enjoy, regard suffering and joy as facts of life and continue chanting no matter what happens. And I didn't understand that. (laughs) I was trying to understand it, but I was like, suffering and joy and what is suffering and joy? And like, Am I on the wrong path? Is that causing me tr- suffering? I, I felt it was something I was doing versus who I was inside. Um, and that was finally cracking, but it was taking a long time. Anyway, I ended up transferring out of this school and I found a school that I really liked. But I ended up leaving school altogether, which was a huge decision for me to make. But I decided to commit to acting because what inspired me to do so was I got the role of my dreams. I got this movie called Eyes Wide Shut, which um, was directed by Stanley Kubrick. And I had who, man, mean, know most listeners know who Stanley Kubrick is, but he is literally um, every person's kind of um, ideal in terms of a director, like even top directors love Stanley Kubrick, um, for those youth who may not know him, but, um, and we had a deep connection and I just almost looked at him as a fatherly figure or maybe a mentor in the workplace. Um, and I told him, I thought I was going to quit acting Mm -hmm. and find something else. And this is when I was still in school. Sorry. I'm kind of jumped ahead, but
0: no, 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 it's okay.
1: And he said, you know, he looked at me in the eyes and he said, you're really good and you should do this, but you can't rely upon others to be great. And he noticed maybe I was like, um, relying upon my representatives or people around me. I was still deeply connected to my mom who was kind of a manager at the time. And it was really, he's basically saying you have to stand up on your own and decide what you want to do. And, Hmm. um, become, you know, your own kind of, be on your own ship and sail your own ship and be your own captain. And then he even said, I'll give you a recommendation to anybody who wants it. And I was like, what? (laughs) I just (laughs) couldn't believe it. I was floored by everything he was saying. And I said, no, no, this is because I'm here with you. That's why I'm good. He said, no, listen to me quiet. He was very like strict with me and said, I'm telling you, you're really good. And then he passed away and I was heartbroken. It was literally only a year or two after finishing the movie. But through my like broken heart, because I my broken heart was because I thought I was having somebody who could help me through the trials and tribulations of this crazy business because I felt it to be so hard to navigate. And I thought he's been in it for years and kind of blazed his own path. And I thought he would help me blaze my own anyway. Mm-hmm. I determined to basically develop myself as an actor and as a person. Um, and because I was so scared of the entertainment industry and finding people like-minded there, I just really delved into my Buddhist community where I always felt so safe and people shared their problems real in a real way. No one was trying to put on airs, which is unfortunately what people do in the entertainment industry because you have to kind of create a hard shell if you don't have any other means by which to believe in yourself. And, you know, of course I was really trying to develop um, and get the heart of my pain since Mm -hmm. it was, you know, so buried within. And so then of course, because I determined to get at the heart of it, um, I had full-blown anxiety attacks. Um, Of course I'd shared, experienced depression but this was so different I felt like I was running away from something all day long every day and um felt like something like some big scary monster was after me all the time and it was literally like a volcano it erupted inside of me and I almost became agoraphobic like any slight move I would make would cause an anxiety attack it was really the worst time in my life yeah
0: Oh my goodness. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Um, Cause it's sounds like so deeply personal and it's hard to, it's hard to give voice to that like deep internal struggle, but you did it so beautifully. Um, so what role did chanting play when you started seeing yourself kind of fall into this darkness?
1: A friend of mine who I've known since I was a little kid in the Um, Buddhist community Um, she said she was reading one of Nichiren's letters and it's this letter called on attaining Buddhahood in this lifetime Mm -hmm. and she said I figured if I don't get this letter then I don't know what I'm doing with this practice and she said "I'm I'm chanting and and reading this letter out loud every single day until I understand this from the depths of my life And I went, whoa, no one's ever said anything (laughs) like this in terms of like reading something that way in terms of at least to me in my, you know, my world and my Buddhist community. And so I just felt that was really intense, but I needed to do something intense to change my life and said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to like be on this personal mission to understand that from the depths of my life too. So the first time... I read it out loud, I stumbled and cried at the part where it says, um, I'm paraphrasing, but it's, you know, if you seek this practice outside of yourself, you're not practicing correctly and your life will become an endless painful austerity. And I went, I kind of looked at it as like an equation for me. Mm. I said, okay, my life is an endless painful austerity, so I must be looking outside of myself. I must be doing that because this Buddhism says everything you know you have the power within you to change anything and everything begins from within so um i i just in the middle of my tears was like i'm i i don't get it and at the same time i let it out which was the first time i really did something honestly i feel like instead of in this you know um kind of protected environment that i've created for myself as an actor and as the child that grew up with a sick mother And so I kept on my mission of reading this, the Unattaining Buddhahood out loud. And I was just like, this is so hardcore. I don't understand it. And then I would go and read um, President Ikeda's words, which were much warmer and kinder. And I would also read um, a book of his that's his diary. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a compilation of all the letters he wrote when he was young called The Youthful Diary. And he expresses his struggles and just, you know, I felt like, Okay, this person is now such a great human being, and he went through all this. And so I could feel like I had somewhere to look towards in the future, a goal and um a model really, and of a person that fought over their own weaknesses and, and won. And that's when I decided, okay, this person's gonna be my teacher, and I'm gonna learn from him. And so Basically, there was a couple more times that I I read it and cried again, and then I just one day was like, "Damn it, I'm gonna get this thing." And the morning I woke up and I did my routine again. I chanted very like little because I felt so afraid. Um, but I studied again. I read it out loud, and I did not stumble nor cry at that moment. And I literally felt for the first time calm in my life. I felt like I had an inkling of confidence come out. But it was kind of like a deer, like a fawn, who's wobbly, (laughs) kind of looking out at the world, just being born, Um, but it definitely had more confidence. And in that moment, I remembered a friend of mine who was encouraging me at the time, who was older and she'd been practicing for a while. And she said, Vanessa, just sitting in front of your altar is winning. And I said, that's what I would do sometimes. I wouldn't even chant. I'd just sit in front of my altar. And then another thing that came through from what she said, and I remembered, she said, if you break through this with your faith, your attacks will become less and less until it's a blip mm-hmm. in your life. And you won't be suffering so much where it's overwhelming anymore. And she was right. You know, mm-hmm. years on down the road, I feel like I they're just a blip. And now they're only an experience to help other people understand the depths of this practice because I had such a spiritual, you know, kind of bookends, I guess, of my life where the first time it was like a magical thing. And the other one was a determined um, experience where I just cracked open my Buddhahood and, and believed in myself for the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just started to realize more and more when I faced my problems Head on, that they could be overcome. But if I just buried them, they would just be this ugly monster waiting to rear its head. And I just, I just, I, even though I just didn't want to, I just fought to gain understanding based on what this practice says is the truth of how to live life versus society or putting on airs or being perfect. And, um, it just, it it really illuminated that I decided in a very erroneous way, I'm going to handle my problems by myself, but that doesn't help when it's used as a defense. You know, it's especially if you don't believe in yourself, it's like, then you're just, you know, mm-hmm. you're just like this wrought iron, like fence. And basically there's no way you can learn or actually develop and grow, which is what Buddhism talks about it's so you're like more like a flower like blossoming and you know uncovering and just peeling away the onion versus like stealing towards life and mm-hmm. white knuckling it so <laughs> um all the years that have passed and I've been chanting about it I can see that I really did struggle with anxiety from a young age and it would just come out with these little illnesses because I'd put at extra added pressure of performance on top of it, performance anxiety with just normal mm-hmm. anxiety of me being afraid of the world, being afraid of being on my own of being afraid, like of lost my mother and have to just, you know, mm-hmm. suffer through life on my own type mentality. Um, so, you know, then it, I just realized I had this low grade anxiety, um, That was there due to not expressing myself Hmm. so that became like my huge breakthrough was like you know me every time that i try to like um shore myself up in a very steely way that i really have to just chant in front of my altar and just say like okay i'm not going to use my head i'm going to just have faith and understand what's going on deep in my life, and make it a a, a faith based experience versus a strategy that I have in my head about what what should be done and how to be done. It's like the more that I use my practice to help me break through something, the less anxiety I have, the more wisdom I have, and um, a better you know outcome of you know, accomplishing day-to-day tasks and my dreams.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's so interesting, like hearing hearing your whole experience. It's unique in in a sense, and at the same time, I'm afraid becoming a bit universal given social media, um, where you know. How do I explain this? So, Buddha ability is this ability, right? We talk about it like your Buddhahood or your Buddha ability is this ability that you have to change any circumstance and be confident and courageous and compassionate and all of the things that we hope that we could call forth in different situations. Um, but a lot of people that I've spoken to, they're starting from a place of like, I want to do something in the world. And I I just wish I could pull it out of my life. And then they're going step by step. And in your case, it's like, you looked like you did so much already in the world by the time this kind of struggle emerged, um, because you, you know, had this like very public life. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, from the perspective of people who've like, um, started to gain that kind of I guess, fame, like even um, if it's just through social media, more and more like 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds are getting a level of attention that it wasn't even possible 10, 15 years ago. So mm-hmm. all that said, I'm curious what you would say about, you know, um, like what what self-esteem really is when you're already in the spotlight? Like this, I mean, I feel like you saw what was so how you felt was so clear, but like, how would you sort of define this journey of developing self-esteem or like, what would you wish that you could have had at that age or wish that like younger, whether they're actors or just young people today are able to experience like real self-esteem based on Buddhism? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. Um, you know, when I was younger, I would hear young women talk about their self-esteem and their insecurities and I would kind of laugh at them haughtily, like it just was like self-esteem, ugh, boring and like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> insecurities, whatever, um, because I was hardened already. I was old by 17, you know, mm-hmm. I had thought that I knew it all because I decided to create this uh, superficial shell of myself, you know, um, and it was working so far until obviously later, as I shared. So, um, I think what's interesting nowadays is, you know, social media has added the extra pressure of performing and, and, you know, acquiring likes and followers. And all that really does is create a more difficult, (laughs) harder shell for you to crack later on. So, Mm -hmm. self esteem needs to be achieved through personal victories personal victories not something external Mm -hmm. um again when I was really struggling to just win over myself um I felt I put so much more effort than anything I ever did in my work because I had to find out who I was I had to find out what everybody was talking about that the buddha is inside of me like i needed to find that out and the only thing that was making it worse was me being able to escape in work um so in a way social media can become escapism it becomes a a superficial way to boost your self-esteem again so you know or knock it down because if somebody doesn't like what you put up and comments on it can ruin your whole day and you know there was something that I read when I was studying psychology in college where there's a concept called fluid intelligence versus solid intelligence so basically we're still our brains are still forming until the age of 25 and then that's when fluid intelligence becomes solid intelligence So 16, 17, 18 through 25, it's like formative years. It literally is, you're forming your brain and it's becoming only solid until 25. And so like everything becomes so important, what you put into your life, what you share with others and what others share with you. It's like really about forming who you are. And so it's, it's, I think a very delicate, time and we have to treasure that time as young people and decide I'm gonna work on myself and I'm gonna make I'm just gonna try to make mistakes just to see what happens and do all the things that you know make life kind of fun you know Mm -hmm. and with social media, it can just become very serious and you can take things seriously. And as we know, there's like an uptick and, de- you know, depression and anxiety and people and suicide and all those things. And guess what? That's all the things I was telling you guys about were happening to my fellow actors in my acting community. So mm-hmm. when you put extra public pressure on a developing soul, a developing person, then you're creating um, a shell of a, of a person. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you're somebody who's gaining more notoriety on social media or, you know, are precocious athlete or whatever you're doing that is, you know, becoming more and more publicized, please make time to do little things that are your personal victories that only maybe, you know, about Mm -hmm. things that you can look and go, I won over myself, like, you know, I had a bad attitude toward this thing and then I turned it around and, and had a better attitude about it. Or, you know, I, um, decided to do something I never done before. Like I, you know, baked a pie or something, you know, (laughs) something that and didn't post it on social media, you know, and I just decided to do it for myself and I enjoyed it for myself. And, you know, didn't take one picture of it and share in it with anyone. You know, it's, it's so important to have those personal victories because those make up bigger victories in the future when um, you have more external pressures as an adult. And it's so important to be able to um, have those personal victories and do them when no one is watching. Um, hmm. That is what creates a strong person.
0: Yeah, I I love what you just said. And, you know, I'm just thinking what you started to say about perfectionism and how this like added, like added layer of um, performance to the insecurities a person may already be carrying just by virtue of the fact that we're just growing up at the time. It's so yeah. important and I wonder you know if you're comfortable like sort of revisiting this time period, but when you said that around 18 is when your friends started to really struggle and I mean, all of you started to really struggle, but some of your friends like really went to a dark place. Um, as you chanted, how did you see that chanting impact how you were then able to show up in these public spaces or these performance? spaces, if that makes sense. Like all this is going on inside, but I'm wondering like if you saw some changes happening in in how you're carrying yourself or how you're reacting to some of the expectations placed on you.
1: I think um again when I was 18 is kind of when I went through the hardest time. Um because again I was looking at all my friends who I grew up with in the entertainment business and just saw okay, there's no role models in any of them. Mm-hmm. And then I would actually look at other actresses I admired, and I kind of looked up to Jodie Foster, who actually went to school after being, she went to Yale after being um a child actor. So I was like, okay, at least one person, you know, went to school and, you know, developed themselves a little bit more than just being an actor. Um, and weirdly enough, I... I I researched later on her and and I found something with some article where she said she went to school to find something different, but Mm -hmm. then came back to being an actor because that was her dream. Um, So I think it's when you've had something in your life, like for, you know, those actors who were child actors and then growing up, it's like, this is all I know. Maybe there's something else I need to do. Um, So that's kind of what, brought me on my path of trying to figure out maybe it's something, you know, career-wise I have to change. But again, I didn't, I, it was, it was, I was definitely putting the brakes on. I didn't understand how I could live life freely, um, being an actor, having the pressures, as well as being happy inside. I just didn't, I just was not happy inside. So, um what I'm trying to answer is that it took me a while to come back to my career I had to kind of reject it like Mm. um like maybe a a child rejects a parent because it just was in my life since a child's age and again when you're developing as a person and developing a career so young it starts to meld together and you don't do what my mom was saying for me to do I you don't know that your work is what you do and not who you are, no matter how hard you try. So you kind of have to refresh yourself and come back to it. And I just knew I couldn't handle the pressures of acting if I didn't work on myself first. Mm -hmm. Um, And so once I did, then I was able to come out shiny again and embrace the spotlight and embrace, the hardships of auditioning and embrace the criticisms of you know every single actor and um, <laughs> that's, that every single actor experienced, but again, it started from within and i I just had to change my philosophy I had to change you know I had to understand from this practice perspective of of you know trying to achieve Buddhahood, not perfection, you know and Mm I, that one of the, that was one of the things I first kind of came to that conclusion, like, wait, in all my studies, there's nowhere where it says you have to be perfect. (laughs) And it was like devastating to me because I just wanted there to be something that says, oh, yeah, you're not good enough. And just feed my dark side and saying, yeah, you're not good enough. (laughs) And this is what, what it means to really be a Buddhist, you know, but it's not that it's about becoming more of yourself. And then you have to do that hard work of like, well, what is myself? Well, how am I getting to be more of myself? And that's actually, again, a more special, personal, again, victory that you have to achieve. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: again, it's diametrically opposed to society, which is why Nichiren Buddhism is still so radical. Like society talks about these achievements you make that are kind of, you know, quantitative. And that's what, you know, basically you can show on a list of like things you've accomplished in life versus like, I won over myself or I had a kind moment with my child or, you know, I became, I waved at my neighbor and they were struggling and they told me later that they appreciated my smile, you know? And those are little things that like, make you feel good inside because, you know, maybe you're too shy to say hello to your neighbor. Mm it's the things that I just kind of laughed off and thought it was like, I just had such a huge chip on my shoulder, like reading President Ikeda's guidance saying, you know, life when you're achieving your Buddhahood is just, it, you, you are just happy to be alive. I was like, yeah, right. You know, it's just, <laughs> I just thought it was impossible, even though I was a person that loved happy endings in movies and that's why I wanted to be in movies and, you know, like I loved cheesy musicals, like all the things that inspired me to be a, an actor, I didn't think happened in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's just, you know, it's hard. It's hard to get to the point where, you know, um, your personal victories are are your source of achievements versus what society says is your form of achievements.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I understand. And it sounds like it also takes a lot of courage to even be willing to go down that path. I'm imagining, I mean, it applies to virtually any any kind of work that, that people do, you know, like once you get a small taste of success or positive feedback to not just ride out the rest of your life trying to repeat that um, and instead like dig much deeper to understand what happiness looks like for you. I mean, most people don't do that in their lifetime or don't know how to do that so yeah it sounds like it took a lot of courage too
1: I was sharing with a friend um what this practice is and what I had experienced in the dark parts of my life and he said it must be really hard to have been an actor during that whole time because it kind of was like insult to injury you know it was like you get you, you know you're already critical with yourself and then you have the environment being critical with you he's like sometimes people just need to escape and work where they're saying good job and you know that was a great presentation or whatever i'd get none of that you know That's <laughs> just like he he was just laughing at that he said yeah i could see how it was it, your darkness was doubling down in that respect um mm-hmm. and he said it was great that you were able to pull yourself up out of that your own personal hell you know <laughs>
0: yeah so I'm uh I'm wondering how you feel about acting now or after having gone through this it's it almost sounds like an it was a new person that emerged at the end
1: (laughs) you know it's such a joy again like I shared in the beginning it was such a joy and I had um, a lot of confidence and I feel like I finally feel that again Mm. the business has gotten even harder where there's even more people, um, you know, in your category. And there's more people, more uh, projects, which is also a benefit too. Um, but, you know, back when I was younger, you would audition and then you would get a response of, they did great on this, but, you know, we decided to go with this person. But thank you very much. Now there's not even any thank yous. It's just mm-hmm. the hardest um part of my job requirement is to do an audition and any actor listening knows this where it's literally, you put yourself on tape for an audition and you get no response. And so it's gets harder for you as an actor to again, encourage yourself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you are your own champion and your own um, source of encouragement. And that's, you know, so tough sometimes because you just want to hear you're human and you want to hear like, what did I do a good job or what, you know? But again, I'm like, this is just another opportunity for me to believe in myself. And I still work and I'm still getting work. So the tides will change again. But um, Mm. the best part of me being an actor now, also what I want to share is how I use my work to help others. you know, so many people have said this before that, you know, art can heal people's lives. And it did when I was growing up, I would escape in movies when my mom was sick and just think of far distant places. And, um, I, even if I am playing a kind character or a dark character, (laughs) I, I find the humanity in my work. Um, and, you know, even some I've gotten a review one time where I played a really ugly character, and somebody said they just she just wanted to be loved. Um, and I and I thought, wow, that was interesting. You know, they they perceived that and they got that, and that's part of what is so great about being a Buddhist who is an artist is you get to express all kinds of, um, you know, ways of living and people in all different states of their life like in an angry state or a hellish state or um humanistically you know passionate state um Mm. and all of that is a part of life and so what's so cool is I get to just delve into these ways of being as a a certain character and I get to express all kinds of ways of living Mm. and do it without judgment and to show that these are aspects of life and that's all I want to do is just do more humanistic stories and share the potential of human beings just more and more. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think as I grow as a person, my, my roles and characters I'm playing are growing too. So that's kind of cool. It's sort of symbiotic and, um, expansive that way too.
0: Yeah. 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 I I can only, I mean, I, I can imagine the, having like experience that, depths of emotion that you described earlier could only add dimension to your work that maybe wouldn't have even been possible before. Um one final so <laughs> one um one final follow-up to the to, to your story. Like you shared kind of the the journey and like what studying the Gosho really did for you. But I I'm just mm-hmm. thinking from the perspective of someone listening who's like mm-hmm. How did you even think to turn to chanting? Like, how were you even able to chant? And what were you even thinking when you were chanting if you were struggling with so much, you know, anxiety and even depression? So I'm just wondering, um, like, was there kind of a a moment where you decided, like, this is is how I'm going to chant or I have to chant about this? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, when I was struggling the most, I was told by people who've been practicing a long time to be myself while chanting. And that was really hard for me because again, I built up this scaffolding and the shell of a person. So what I had to do when I was recognizing that I was so off when I was reading um, mm-hmm. on Attaining Buddhahood in this lifetime, I had to look at myself in front of the altar and I said okay I'm gonna take my head off like I feel like it's like I'm removing all my thoughts and putting it to the side to just decide to ignore what I was thinking and literally wash over my like body or like implant new thoughts of positivity of encouragement of You can do it. Don't be defeated. You know, Buddhism is win or lose. So you have to be a winner. And thoughts would come in like, you're such a loser. You'll never be happy. And I would have to just go, no, and just turn it like literally like almost box it out of my head. Um, (laughs) Like I was a boxer, you know, and I'd just say no. And I would once again, if I would stumble again, I would read something until I started thinking more clearly Mm. and then sometimes I would read while chanting because I'm like this is what I need to think I got to stop thinking I'm a loser and um that you know I'll never be happy and I'll be scared for the rest of my life that life is too overwhelming and you know grow up and you're such a baby kind of quote, you know quotes would run through my head Mm -hmm. and um Which is, as you know, is all reflective of me just deciding as a young age to just, you know, ignore all my feelings. So it was coming out at that time, the real thoughts of myself. And so I had to, again, just allow the words of people who actually have done it, were, you know, achieving Buddhahood, which we know is not a special place. It's literally understanding that you're the Buddha and that's it, and continuing to grow on that concept. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's what I need to do. I need to begin from scratch because all the ways of thinking of Vanessa is just making me sad. So um, Mm -hmm. yes, I literally had to take my head off and like (laughs) pour encouragement inside the empty space that I've created for myself and begin anew and decide that I'm the Buddha. Um, And then I would reach out to a friend who would encourage me, a friend in faith, and and start all over again, and have more anxiety attacks, and all those things, and it just was about me not giving up, and not, and deciding I was going to win, I was just, would repeat to myself while chanting, I'm a winner, I'm a winner, I'm a winner, I'm a Buddha, I'm a Buddha, I'm a Buddha, like it just was like hammering it into my head while mm-hmm. chanting, so no other thoughts could get in, I was like, I have to drown out <laughs> these thoughts, <laughs> and and so then I was like, I just have to keep repeating it, over and over again. And then I would just literally find myself to be sometimes physically ill going like, oh, you're so, how annoying. You're so like, you know, arrogant Mm -hmm. to think you can be happy and um, that you're a Buddha, like, who do you think you are? It was a training, it was training ground. It was training for myself to become um, a true Buddhist and not a slanderous or a person who thinks negatively about,
0: herself. Yeah. It's actually so amazing that you're sharing this because um, this month um, or throughout August, we're doing this like kind of chanting challenge for people oh. who are new. And one mm. of the themes this time, you know, based on um, like kind of feedback we've gotten, questions we've gotten from from listeners and readers is um, how to overcome negative self-talk. And so like oh, this is yeah. like, so You, I feel like you just illustrated so beautifully what that battle looks like because there is oh this God. Idea in Buddhism that to like really pull out your Buddha ability, you have to also defeat that negativity. They go hand mm-hmm. in hand. So I actually really appreciate you sharing everything <laughs> the way that you just. Yeah,
1: did. it's so true. And be, be, going from somebody who wanted to avoid negativity and just have a placid lifestyle, and not understanding that all my negativity are obstacles or obstacles were my growth. All the things that Buddhism says, I I just am so happy now that I understand that the the basic principles of this practice and how to become happy. And that is like the first quote I ever read of President Kata's happiness is overcoming obstacles and continuing to grow. And that's mm. really what it is.
0: Yeah. Wow. Um, well, just to to close, and um, you know, we always close the show with uh, a piece of advice to people listening. But interestingly enough, actually, just this week, I got an email from someone because people will request topics for the podcast. And the uh-huh. email was like, can you address for actors how to deal with rejection? And I, it oh. was completely unplanned that we were talking. <laughs> so nice. it's kind of a surprise question. But, um, you know, because I, I what I was going to ask you is if you had to give um, one piece of advice to someone who's really struggling with perfectionism or a tendency towards perfectionism what would you say but i want to include in that also like um someone who's struggling with rejection i Mm -hmm. imagine those things kind of can go hand in hand but maybe or maybe not necessarily but yeah what would you say to um either either or both of those things
1: okay one of my favorite um concepts in this practice is um is is the quote there's uh cherry, peach, plum, and damson. So all those trees, a cherry tree, a peach tree, a plum tree, a damson tree, they're all very different, but they're all trees and they're all growing beautifully as themselves. Mm. This is likening all of us to being our own trees, our own flowers, our own blossoms, whatever you want to call it. Um, So really there are no two people who are alike There are no fingerprints that are the same. Even twins have different aspects to them, identical twins. So the fact is, is you are your own unique self and the challenge for an actor is to recognize that only you are made for this particular role that you will get in the future. Only the person who gets it is made for that particular role in the future and I'll explain why. So even if you're the most, even if you are the perfect person and you read this role and you think, oh my God, I know this story backwards and forwards. I have lived this way. I have, I understood the pain of this character, the joys of this character, I am made for this. Even if that's the truth, if a person gets it and you don't, that person's journey is not only about that role. It's about when they got that role in their life, what they're dealing with in their family life, what they're dealing with on set, the people they're dealing with in the scenes. Mm-hmm. Everything is according to the rhythm of whatever that person who got the part um is experiencing in their life you know we are meant to do the specific role that we are meant to do when it comes in our life and so i'm not telling you to be patient i'm telling you to be impatient about being ready and prepared when that time comes so you have to make sure that you are physically mentally emotionally fit for this role that you want so If you're not, and you want to do like a Scorsese movie and you're not ready for that, then in those ways, then you'll never be able to be in rhythm with that particular role. Hmm. So um, as I mentioned before, I I had decided to go on my own personal journey to become happy inside because I saw all my friends who are my age become unhappy, who are child actors. I put the brakes on, I was scared to become any of the people who actually succeeded during that time, because I was scared because some of them became horrible people. I meant forgot to mention that part. So I was just like, who, how do I want to be, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: so they, so I feel like, um, in your own journey, it's important to recognize there's always the right time for everything. Um, and, it's when you are ready to blossom and become, you know, have share the experience of this of a character in your own unique way. Even if you feel like you've missed the certain role that you think is the perfect one for you. Because it's not just the role, it's everything that goes around it. When that movie comes out, even like, are you able to share um and enjoy the successes or failures of it. So rejection should just be the fuel for your fire to continue to grow. As long as in the end, you know, after perhaps judging yourself or feeling human feelings of, you know, frustration, you take it and say, but I'm going to grow from this, I'm going to win the next time, or I'm gonna, I just, learned how to, you know, do this hard role that I challenged myself to do. Um, Hmm. Also, I wanted to say a thirdly that all auditions, I look at them now, um, because auditions are the hardest part, I feel, of our business, honestly. (laughs) For me now, I feel like I liken it to going to the gym. So, you know, you don't bemoan the fact that you didn't do that deadlift right or Hit that mm-hmm. yoga pose right. You just are like, it's. I'm just gaining muscle and working myself out, and we'll do do it the next day and do it even better next time. And I just think if you look at it that way, it's not as intense. Of uh, this is my one shot. It's 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 it's. You're developing yourself and you're developing strength as a person, and that will only reflect in your work. Mm-hmm. So look at it as an as acting gym.
0: That's such a good way. what's helped way of, me. Yeah. That's such a good way of putting it. <laughs> I think it applies to definitely not only actors, but it's such a, a, a clear way. You know, it's not, because like you can't fail when you look at it that way.
1: Yeah, it's, it's so churning. great. I, it took me so long. I think I just realized that a couple years ago or not even, and I'm like, what the hell i've done this for 30 something years and now i finally can see it as not like did they not like me did they not you know Mm -hmm. um was what what happened you know and (laughs) the other part of being in rhythm um is about you know there's something mystic that happens when you're a practitioner of this buddhism where things happen seemingly out of nowhere to the naked eye, but to the Buddhist eye, you know where it comes from. And people who represent you won't ever be able to explain it. Um, It's just, you become in rhythm. So 10 years ago, um, I had um, a movie that I was going to do with this actor, Luke Wilson, who most people know, wonderful actor and wonderful person and we both wanted to do this movie but it didn't pan out and I saw him in at a restaurant and he's like, "Hey Vanessa, well one day we'll work together." And we just kind of laughed and moved on. 10 years down the line, um I get a call out of the blue about this you know movie and they said there's complications with hiring this this role and We wanna know if you're free. And Luke Wilson is putting in an extra word and he said, please do this movie. And so out of the blue, I get this job and start had to work literally within two days, but that was from the past. And it was really when I was chanting to break through with work after having a child and kind of being out of the business, quote unquote, for a while, I really wanted to step forward and have a a job that could really mean something to me and ended up doing this movie called 12 Mighty Orphans, which is now in the theaters with Luke Wilson. And that was how I got the job was seemingly out of nowhere, but my timing with him and me, and my prayer all aligned together to have this opportunity to work together once again and do a really wonderful humanistic film. So that's an example of how when your life is in rhythm, you will have the right role at the right time.
0: After we spoke, Vanessa shared that there are three key quotes she loves from Ikeda that really helped her through her own journey and that she wanted to share, which all come down to not seeking happiness or confidence outside yourself.
1: I, I especially like when um, things are plainly said about the practice because sometimes, you know, our brains can only. <laughs> interpret what we want to hear so I feel like this is too direct for anyone not to hear um, <laughs> so this is one um, from Daisaku Ikeda and he says uh, this is about creating a life of freedom um, qu- the quote is as long as we are fettered by karma afflicted by weakness defeated by suffering and held back by misguided ways of thinking we'll never find freedom anywhere Whoa,
0: <laughs> yes, oh my goodness
1: <laughs> end quote <laughs> <laughs> I kept like every time I read I'm like snaps and say anyway, um this is another one. This is from the Wisdom of the Lotus Sutra Volume four, but it's also in the um uh cre- um wisdom of creating happiness and peace um we should allow ourselves to be angry when anger is called for, to worry when there's something we need to worry about, to laugh when something is funny, and to enjoy what is enjoyable. The Daishonin, Nichiren Daishonin says, quote, suffer what there is to suffer, enjoy what there is to enjoy, end quote. Living this way each day with vitality and joy, we move dynamically toward the goal of absolute happiness for ourselves and others. And that's the end of the quote. Mm. I mean, I wish I had that as a child, you know, it's okay to feel all your feelings. Um, You need to feel them. Um, But again, I just, my dad tried, (laughs) He gave me that postcard. It just took me a longer journey to, to like really uncover it in my own way. So no, it's also so
0: similar actually to the, the guidance that you said that your friend gave you to really just be yourself when you're chanting
1: yeah exactly yeah exactly here's the last one and this is from the new Human revolution volume 29 if you can't believe you embody the mystic law you'll never have self-confidence in the truest sense of the word and you'll always be searching for the path to happiness outside yourself
0: As a reminder, if you're listening to this in August, to join the chanting journey, sign up for our daily newsletter at bootability.org. You'll get daily prompts that you can combine with your chanting to fuel your growth, a downloadable calendar, as well as inspiration from others in the Bootability community. And if you're listening to this after August, no worries, you can just start now using the day one prompt and take it day by day. And finally, a reminder that if you do sign up, we invite you to tag us as you go at bootability on all social platforms or use the hashtag bootability. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.